0: Scripture this morning, we are in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. I would invite you to open your scripture there this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, continuing our study through the book of Hebrews. This morning, we are going to look at what is faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. We're reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things, that are visible over 240 times god speaks to us about faith in the new testament one of the important titles given to christians in the new testament is that of believers meaning that we are being defined as a people who believe something so by our very title we are a people of faith in fact When we talk about Christianity, we often describe it as the Christian faith. Faith is central to Christianity and to the biblical view of redemption. However, faith is not one-dimensional. It has many aspects to it. So there are times we struggle to know exactly what it is. Last week, we looked at faith that endures and how The author will, uh, and now the author is going to devote um, a whole chapter to give an explanation and to illustrate for his readers a genuine faith that does indeed endure. The emphasis is more on the practice of faith in the face of trials, and this is the kind of faith that trusts in the promises of God and applies them to present trials. And what I want to do to help us understand this passage is break it down into three points, a point for each verse. So first we will see the spiritual reality of faith in verse 1. Then in verse 2, we will see the reward of faith is God's approval. And lastly, in verse 3, we will see faith recognizes God's power. Now, before we get into that, let me be clear that We understand that faith is, or what faith is at the foundation, and that it is at the foundation of our relationship with God. In verse 6, we will read when we get there, but uh, we read that it is impossible to please God without faith. And so if you fail to trust God, then you're making God out to be a liar. If we are ever to have a close personal relationship with God, or anyone for that matter, then trust is essential in that relationship because if you don't trust someone, then you will not get close to that person. In fact, lack of trust hurts relationships. Um, and often, or, or, um, or when people lack trust, it breaks a relationship. It's, it brings a brokenness to that relationship. It's hard to restore a relationship when trust has been broken. If you don't, trust someone you're not going to share personal things with them and you will not believe what they share with you because you don't trust them it's the same way with our relationship with god we have to trust god furthermore trust is built on truth If someone lies or is deceptive to you then you won't trust them if you know someone always stretches the truth you're not going to trust what they say you will always have your your guard up, questioning everything. And if you sense that they are lying about who they are, then you will keep your distance from them. When people are not truthful, they are not trustworthy. Lack of truth erodes trust and brings distance in relationships. It is the same way, um, it, it is the same with our relationship with God. If we doubt the truth of the Word of God, if we doubt His promises, then we're not going to trust God, and therefore we will distance ourselves. From God, one last thing, and that's um, in this faith relationship with God, and that's this: truth is expressed in love truth is expressed in love, and that's something that that we often struggle with. love is seeking the highest good of other people, and so the highest good for any person is that they would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. all verbal expressions of truth must be motivated by love now to blast someone verbally, you can, you can do that and you can be truthful. You can be truthful and, and kind of just really let them have it, but that's not loving. You can say, well, I'm just telling someone how I feel and that's the truth, but you have not said it in order to conform that person into the image of Christ and therefore it is unloving. But what is also true is when we deceive someone under the guise of love. And that denies the truth. And so we're deceptive because we say, well, I love that person. And that's a denial of truth. And this will erode trust in the relationship and cause problems. Some of the things that God says to us are hard. They're hard things. They're not easy things to accept. He confronts our unbelief and our sin. But it's done in a way to conform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so it's done in love. And when difficult trials come our way. We must trust that it's done in love. To form us into the image of Jesus Christ. If Satan can get us to doubt God's love. In the midst of trials. It draws us away from God. And causes us to disobey his word. Of truth. To draw near to God. We must believe that God exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. So. With that said, we see that trust is essential, that truth is the basis for trust, and that truth must be expressed in love, which is seeking the highest good for the other person. Then we realize that faith, which is trust, is at the very heart of our relationship with God. So, let's see with that as the backdrop, To understand that it's at the very heart of our relationship with God. Let's see the spiritual reality of faith. And we see this in verse 1. When asked for a definition of faith, many people would probably be able to refer to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. In fact, it was one of the first verses I memorized. So when someone would say, what is faith? I could say Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 tells us what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Or if you memorized it in a different translation, you would know that. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. However, what does that mean? In fact, different translations of the Bible will say it differently. The NASB and the ESB say the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. The NIV uses the words being certain of and certain. The KJB in the In KGB, translate the words substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Some translations look at uh, those words as subjective, while other translations look at those words as objective. So subjectively, faith means that we are confident of what we hope for and we are convinced of what we do not see objectively, faith is the reality of what we hope for and the proof of what we do not see. Now, I do not want to get into all of the technical jargon and the different views of scholars on this verse. I believe what we see here is an overlap of the objective and the subjective sense of the words. So our faith proves that, proves what we hope for, giving us assurance that our hope is true. This hope is not an emotional state Or desire of what we would like to happen. But are unsure of. But it is. It is. um, Instead a desire. For a future outcome. That is absolutely true. And this is based on our trust. In the promises of God. So hope. Is faith looking forward. And that said. Let's notice. What it is about this faith. And the spiritual reality of the faith. So it's faith looking forward, faith is a future certainty. Faith is a future certainty. Faith is the evidence of what we do not see. It gives us the conviction that what we do not see is true. So it's the evidence of what we can't see, but the conviction that 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 which we can't see it's true. In fact, I believe the character of faith can be summed up in one word, and that's this certainty. Certainty, which is why this is faith is a future certainty. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not being optimistic. Faith is not positive vibes or positive thinking. Faith is not a hunch. It's not some sort of sentimentality. Faith is certainty. Faith is not brainless Faith is not cynical. It is a certainty that rests on God's words that makes the future present and the visible or the invisible seen. Faith makes real God's promises about the future and it proves the things that we can't see, like God. You can't see God, but faith proves God. Angels, demons, heaven, and hell, they are all true. They are all real based upon Faith faith takes God's promises and the unseen world and it applies them to the life in the present reality in which we live. So faith has a future, future certainty to it. We see it. It is the assurance of things hoped for. So what do we hope for? Well, let's see. Scripture tells us some things we hope for. Such as Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Waiting for a blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So something that we hope for is Christ's return. So faith says I know Christ's return is true and it will happen. Here's, some, here's something else. According to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First Peter chapter 1 verse and so by faith we hope in a resurrection 1 John chapter 3 verses 2 and 3 but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure and so we hope in future glorification that we will be purified and glorified Revelation chapter 22 verse 5 if we endure we will also reign with him actually that's 2 Timothy 2.12, Revelation is, "And And night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So we will reign with Him. Our faith gives us certainty of future things. It gives us certainty of the return of Christ. It gives a certainty of our resurrection. It gives a certainty of our glorification, of our place in heaven, of our coming reign with Christ. Our faith celebrates future reality and enables us to, to rely with certainty or enjoy the certainty that in future all these realities will be experienced. Now think for a moment about your Christian faith, about your Christian life. And think about how these future events, or just think about them, and how through faith they become present realities. That we say, okay, well, I believe in a resurrection. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. I have faith in it. I have faith in my glorification. I have faith in my future reign. I have faith that there is a heaven. I have faith that there is a hell. I have faith that there is a God. I have faith that Jesus Christ came and died. It brings those things into present realities. And that should be cause for celebration. That's why we gather on a Sunday morning. We don't gather on Sunday morning to pat each other on the back and say, Hey, good job person i'm so glad that you're here we don't gather to say well i wonder what so-and-so is going to wear this sunday we don't even gather together though we enjoy it we don't even really gather together for the fellowship of the saints though that's a that's a good outflow we gather together to celebrate the resurrection of jesus christ which is something that we accept by faith we say hey and I fa- have uh, faith that Jesus rose again. And therefore, I have faith that I too will rise again. That's faith. Cause for celebration. Faith helps us go through persecution. Faith helps us have a confidence because it claims those future events as present realities it knows they are true William Barclay writes in his commentary on Hebrews in the early days of persecution a humble Christian was brought before the judges he told them that nothing they could do could shake him because he believed that if he were true to God God would be true to him do you really think that asked the judge That the like of you will go to God in his glory. To which the man responded. I don't think. I know. I know that is faith. It brings to present. It says, hey, just like Paul. You kill me. It's game. If I die, it's game. To live is Christ. To die is Gain. Faith is a future certainty. But not only is faith a future certainty, faith is a visual certainty. Faith is a visual certainty. Because faith is the conviction of things not seen. Today, we like to say thing, say this, seeing is believing. Or if we're from Missouri, uh, we're in the show me state. Right, You've got to show me, or I'm not going to believe. I can say that because I grew up there. Interestingly enough, neither of these is opposed to biblical faith. Because faith calls us to put our trust in the gospel, not on the basis of some sort of blind leap into the darkness, but on the basis of the testimony of eyewitnesses who report in the Scripture of what they saw. And so faith isn't a blind leap. And so when we speak of faith, there is a visual certainty. Scripture backs this up. For we did not follow cleverly the devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 16, when Luke is writing his gospel, he says to Theophilus, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. When Paul speaks of his confidence in the resurrection, he makes an appeal to the eyewitness of the risen Christ, and then he says that Christ appeared to him. Paul is saying he believes in the resurrection because many eyewitnesses saw the resurrection, and he saw it with his own eyes. So there is a link in the New Testament between faith and seeing. There is a visual certainty when people say they have blind faith. They are saying they believe in what they what they do not see. They believe for no reason. And so if you say, well, Christianity is a blind faith. You've got to accept it blindly. You're saying there's no reason to accept it. And that's not what Hebrews is speaking of. The Bible never claims that we have a blind faith. The author of Hebrews says that faith is the conviction of things not seen. And conviction is convincing evidence. It is tangible. It is visible. And it points to an important truth. Let me see if I can make this tangible for us. Faith will say, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. None of us knows what tomorrow will bring. But I know that God is already there. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I know that God's not confined to time. God is already in tomorrow. And He knows exactly what tomorrow will bring. Because He's already there. And so whatever God promises tomorrow will bring, I trust God for tomorrow. I have faith in something I have yet to see. I can't see tomorrow. Nobody can see tomorrow. But I have faith. That when it comes, God's already there. And whatever He brings, I trust in Him. That faith is evidence. Because the object of my faith is not tomorrow. The object of my faith is God. I know God. God has a track record. God is infallible. God never Uh, lies. He knows all things. And so if God tells me that something is going to happen, I believe it even though I have yet to see it now let's notice this the reality of faith illustrated the reality of faith illustrated so faith is a future certainty it is a visual certainty but there's a reality of it being illustrated we have many illustrations of faith in the bible we can think of shadrach meshach and abednego they refused to bow down to king nebuchadnezzar's idol which offended the king and so so he threatened to throw them into the furnace In their response, we see their faith in the midst of the present crisis. They laid hold of a future certainty. They knew the promises of God regarding eternal life. And their faith caused them to know the unseen God with certainty and to hold him higher than the enraged king and so their answer to king Nebuchadnezzar as he threatens to throw them in the fire because remember their faith is not in the king their faith is in God who holds tomorrow in his hand who holds every moment of your life in his hand and so their response to the king Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and said to the king oh Nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter if this be so our God whom we serve he is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand O king but if not but if not be it known to you O king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up the point is but if not you see even if they were burned They were delivered by their faith out of the hands of the king. And God would reward them abundantly for eternity. Faith in what they could not see. That is faith. Faith in what is not seen. John Hustified the Roman Catholic Church because of their corrupt practices. Practices. That were contrary to scripture. They promised him safe passage to to a hearing after he arrived. They said, We promised you safe passage here, but not safe passage return. They threw him in prison and they condemned him to death, and he and they piled the wood to his neck to prepare him to be burned at the stake. They gave him one last chance to recant his faith, to which John Hush replied, God is my witness that I have never taught, that of which I have been accused by false witnesses. In the truth of the gospel which I have written, taught, and preached, I will die today with gladness. As he was being burned at the stake, he died singing, Christ, thou Son of the Living God, have mercy on me. And among his dying words, he said this In 100 years, God will raise up a man whose calls for reform cannot be suppressed. And almost 100 years later, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg. How could he do this? How could John Huss? die being burned at the stake and glorifying his God because he had faith that was real. And it was certain of future promises which he could not see. George Mueller, the great missionary, proved the reality of his faith and the invisible God over and over again. He gave away all of his money and his possessions and founded an orphanage in Bristol, England. The orphanage knew 2,000 children who needed food clothing, and shelter every single day. Mueller did not have money. He saved up. And he would not make the needs of his ministry known. He wanted to prove to the world that faith is a reality and the living God is real. He saw thousands of specific answers to prayers. You can read some of them in the book, George Mueller of Bristol by A.T. Person. That is what This is what Mueller had to say about faith. It is the very time for faith to work when sight ceases. The greater the difficulties, the easier for faith. As long as there remain certain natural prospects, faith does not get on even as easily, if I may say so, as when all natural prospects fail. Mueller's saying, you try everything, but when all natural prospects fail, that's when your faith becomes even greater. Faith sees the unseen. Faith is certain of the promises of God. Faith overcomes that which is, which is, um, um, brings disease to our heart. It moves our will. It tremors our life. It changes our focus from earthly things and puts it on spiritual realities. It emboldens us. It laughs in the face of difficulties. It does not fear discouragement. It resists the devil. It triumphs over temptation. Faith is supernatural. I know of no simpler way to put it than to say this. Faith believes God. So, we have seen that faith is a Spiritual reality. But next, let's see this that faith, the reward of faith, is God's approval. The reward of faith is God's approval. Look at verse 2. For by it the men of old received their commendation. By what? By faith. Commendation means to be approvingly testified of. So the author is implying that the men of old. The Old Testament received, the men of the Old Testament received approval from God by their faith. And the rest of the chapter will show us how this happened. The Old Testament saints believed God and they followed Him. They turned away from the way of the world and its pleasures and possessions and they followed after God. They believed that God had more to offer than the world and they staked their lives on it and their faith Pleased God. Notice it was not about how earnest they were. It was not about how sincere they were. Or how nice they were. Or how good they were. But faith. The point was to remind the Hebrews. That those that went before them. Were justified. The same way that everybody else is justified. We are justified. We are made right by faith. You can almost hear the reader saying. Well what about Moses? Or what about Abraham? Abraham. And the author beats them to the punch by saying they were justified by faith. This serves as a vital reminder to those who would claim physical descent from the forefathers because they must be spiritually united to God by faith, not just be physical descent of Abraham. Now look at the wording. By their faith. It was not for their faith, nor without their faith, but he says, by their faith. Faith was not a cause, but faith was a condition. There's nothing meritorious in the faith, yet it was a necessary means. Faith is not new, it was always there, planted in the hearts by God's grace of His elect from the beginning. There's only one way of salvation since sin entered the world, and that is by grace through faith, not of works. It is a terrible mistake to think that the Old Testament saints were saved by keeping the law. They weren't saved because they kept the law. They were saved because they had the same promise that we have. Abraham is called the father of the faithful. God came and spoke to him about the future and told him to leave his country and go and God would make him a great nation. And Abraham believed God and he set out having no idea where he was going. For a future he had not seen. Abraham trusted God. God told him that he would show him where he was to be, and Abraham trusted God for what he could not see. This is what faith is believing God. The Christian life is about believing God, not believing in God, but believing God, believing Him for what you can't see. Abraham gained God's approval by faith. The reward of faith is God's approval. And it's the same for us today. Again, let me reiterate that faith is not meritorious. It's not a meritorious work that we do to gain rewards from God. That would go against Scripture. But faith is a channel through which God's blessing flows to us. Faith is an interesting thing. Because it's our responsibility to believe the gospel because God commands us to believe and yet sinners are unable to believe because they are spiritually blind. Which is why saving faith comes to us as a gift and not through human effort. Jesus is the author of our faith. The perfecter of our faith. And those who have saving faith will have good works in their faith as a result of that faith thereby proving the genuineness of their faith. Both the faith and the works that come to us that that we see in our life are from God. So here's a question. Have you put your trust in Christ alone as your only hope for salvation in heaven? The author of Hebrews has made it abundantly clear that Christ is the only sufficient sacrifice for our sins. He's made this clear throughout the book. And only through him can we experience forgiveness. You can't hope in your good works. Because all of your good works, all the good you can possibly do, will never, ever, ever be able to erase your sin debt. You, can even, you can't even hope in your faith. You can try that, but having faith in your faith will not save you. Your faith must be in Jesus Christ. It is by faith. He will save all that come to Him by faith. You can take God at His word. Now perhaps you would say, well pastor, I've done that in my life. I've done that. I've come to Jesus by faith. I'm sure of heaven. I know where I would go when I die. I'm sure of it. Let me ask you this. Do you live each day seeking His approval? Do you live each and every day of your life seeking His approval? Because as we look down at verse 6 again, we notice that without faith it is impossible to please God. That means that we should be living a life of faith. Our focus is Not on pleasing people. Our focus must be on what is pleasing to God. And that's not an excuse to be unloving towards others. It's not an excuse to act like a jerk to other people. Well, I'm just, I only care about pleasing God, so I can be a jerk. It just means that we focus on what is most pleasing to God. It means that your life focuses in on What is most pleasing to God in your life? Because God examines your heart. So, you know what? I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy taking a stand on things that are biblical. I know it's not easy pleasing God, especially when it may cause conflict. I know it's not easy to to seek to please God when you know that someone else is going to be upset With you. Because you're seeking to please God. I know. I've done it. Even in church. I've been threatened with my job before. I've had terrible things said about me and my family. Because I sought to please God. Over and above pleasing men. Believe it or not. I've even taken a stand or two right here in our church. That was not popular. But the reward of faith. Is not man's approval. The reward of faith is not, oh, well, I I pleased everybody in the church. I did my job as a pastor. Everybody's happy with me. Your reward of your faith is not like, well, everybody likes me in the church. I'm good friends with everybody. I don't have anybody that's ever been mad at me. Then you're probably not doing your job. If people don't get mad at me as a pastor, then I'm probably not doing my job. Because I should at least say something or do something that's going to tick someone off. This is going to happen. This is what you do when you act out faith. But we don't seek the approval of man. It's God's approval. And so we live to please God. And we will know the peace that He gives even when people angrily oppose you. You can lay your head on your pillow at night even when people are mad at you and they say nasty things about you and are angry with you. You lay your head on your pillow at night going, I pleased not man so we've seen the reality of faith and its future certainty its visual certainty we've seen it illustrated then we have seen that the reward of faith is god's approval finally let's see this faith recognizes god's power faith recognizes god's power it is through faith that we have an enlightened understanding of the cosmos Our eyes are turned towards something that is fascinating, which is the universe that we live in. Here he uses the words by faith. and is the first of 19 uses of those words in this chapter. All of the other times he uses by faith, it will be in relation to someone from the Old Testament who trusted in God. However, here he uses those words to take us back to Genesis chapter 1 and the biblical account of creation. It speaks of the Word of God, which is a reference to His spoken word. This is a reference to Genesis 1, where we see the related phrase, Then God said. The origin of the universe poses a problem that neither science nor philosophy can solve. However, it's not so difficult when it comes to faith. Some would have us believe that the conflict between science and religion is one of reason, science is reason, and one of irrational thought, where religion is rational thought. However, the Bible does not ask us to believe in creation by blind faith. We don't have to check our brains at the door in order to be a Christian. Or to believe in creation. Knowledge of the invisible God is revealed to us by what is visible. Creation tells us that there must be a creator. Therefore, there is no conflict for us when it comes to understanding the nature of the universe and the origin of the universe. Faith is the vehicle of spiritual perception. Many years ago, a famed astronomer, many of you have probably heard of him, an astrophysicist, Carl Sagan engaged in correspondence with theologian R.C. Sproul. They were responding to questions about theology and philosophical cosmogony. In particular, they were talking about the Big Bang Theory that Sagan was espousing. Sagan said, we can now go back to within a nanosecond of the moment of the Big Bang. To which Sproul responded with, well, Let's go back before that. What was there? In your judgment, before this explosion, you have said there was a complete concentration of all matter and energy into an infinitesimal point of singularity, a point that had been a state of organization and inertia for eternity, but which suddenly decided to blow up. I want to know who moved it. I want to know what outside force Perturbed its inertia. Sagan said, Well, we can't go there. We don't need to go there. To which Sproul said, Yes, you do need to go there. Because if you assume that the Big Bang happened gratuitously, you're talking about magic, not science. The point that Sproul was making was that there was no scientist present as an observer. Of the supposed big bang. There were no eyewitnesses. To creation. There's none. When somebody says. Oh this universe just happened. How do you know that? There were no eyewitnesses. So we must come up. With the origin of the universe. Through some kind of deduction. From the things that we can see. So we look around. At what we can see. And we must come up with how the universe came into existence. Or we look to the supernatural revelation that God gives us, to which, before the universe was made or came into existence, there must have been something that brought it into existence. And either way, we come to the same conclusion. If we look at creation through faith, we say that there must be a creator. We look at what is created and we say, well, there must be some sort of creator for us to have the universe that we have. And if through the fact that we know some outside force must have created it, again, we say, well, I have faith that some outside force had to create everything that I see. Hebrews is saying it is by faith that we understand the creation of the universe because it was done by God's very word. And then he says, so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. That sounds weird. What we see is not made out of things that are visible. So he says the things that you see do not come from the things that you see. So scientifically, if you take what you see and you begin to reason backwards, you will run up against the causal necessity of an unseen, invisible, non-physical cause for what you currently see. Because God created the universe, what is known as ex nihilo. Which means He created it out of nothing. God did not have something to create something. He didn't say I have to have something in order to create something. He created something out of nothing. Which, guess what? It's a human impossibility. Just go to any famous scientist and say, Hey, I want you to create something out of nothing. Take nothing and create something. Can't be done. Which is why they can't explain the origin of the universe. Because something had to be there. And if you keep going back, well, what was there before that? 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 They have no explanation. Now, to be clear, we're not saying that nothing was involved in creation because god is a pretty big something but god is an eternal self-existent being who was with was the efficient cause of the universe he has always been he brought the universe into being god did not rearrange or reshape existing matter nothing was here but God brought the physical world into being out of nothing. If God used something pre-existent. That something would have had to have a material cause. And that material cause would have required another material cause. And so on and so forth. And we just keep going back and back. To eternity. But by faith we recognize the power of God in creation. That what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now. Now. The prevailing worldview of today says that matter always existed and that the universe, including man, happened by chance over billions of years. And I don't know you didn't want to come for a science lesson, but that is blind faith. The reason it is blind faith is because there is no evidence to support the claim. However, the biblical view says that God spoke everything into existence. It's based on evidence. Not on blind faith. There's plenty of evidence to support that there was an intelligent designer who created everything that we can see. However, the Apostle Paul explained the real issue in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 22, when he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Fools. faith is not just some blind reliance but it's an intelligent persuasion and when it says that we understand creation by faith it means that we trust the word of god we were not there but god was there he's given us an account of what happened and he says that he spoke the universe into being i am who i am and i have the power of being in and of myself I am eternal. I am the author of the non-eternal existence of the finite universe. And it came into being by my creative power. I simply spoke it into existence. And everything that is seen was spoken by me is what God tells us. With God, there are no coincidences. And I believe that this is the reason why the author starts his by-faith list in verse 3 with God as the creator. Because it is the foundation for us in knowing God. The very first book of the Bible starts off with, In the beginning, God. That's it. You can't begin to understand anything. Whether it be yourself. Whether it be others. Whether it be history, creation, the universe, or God, if you reject God as creator. Right from the beginning of the Bible, you are presented with a choice. If God is a creator of all things, then he is sovereign over all things. If God created everything, then he rules everything. If you do not come to him in faith as your savior, you will stand before him as judge. And when you believe his word about salvation, then you understand everything that makes history fall into place. So how do we apply this message? The author is making it clear that our faith is not to be temporary, nor is it to be a flimsy faith that shrinks back to destruction. There's only one way to receive and to know and then to grow into full assurance of our acceptance with God. And that's through faith. We also must rely on the certainty of our faith. Therefore, causing us to enact on the certainty of future things because of our faith causes us to know those things that are in the future are true. The causes our faith to sustain us in the midst of trying times because we have faith in the future promises of God. It proves the reality of what we do not see. Thirdly, faith makes us pleasing to God and useful to others in this life. Finally, our faith helps us understand the origin of all that is. In other words, by faith we understand and know that God is sovereign over all things and always is working for our good. Throughout chapter 11, we will see practical examples of faith and how it sustains the people of God through thousands of years and many difficulties and it will sustain you in whatever trial you're facing right now. So my question to you is this. Do you have faith Is it a spiritual reality? Have you put your trust in Christ alone for salvation? And do you live each day seeking God's approval? And are you recognizing God's power over all things? Do you have faith? Some people say, what's wrong with Christianity in America today? The answer is simple. Lack of faith. We say we have faith. It's easy to say we have faith, right? Man, not easy. I place my faith in Jesus. It's when that faith is to continue in our life that we begin to slack off. We take the commands of Jesus Christ as far as witnessing and living out our Christian life. We don't have the faith to do them. We don't have the faith to share the gospel with our neighbor or co-worker or whoever it might be. We don't have the faith to do that. Because we're trusting in us. We don't have the faith to give beyond our means because we're trusting in us. We don't have the faith to take a step and do what we cannot see. Because we're trusting in us. Because we want to hold on to our life as strong and as hard as we can with a clenched fist saying, I am in control. And the minute things get out of control, we go crazy. Because we lack faith. The things that will keep the church from doing what it needs to do, the main thing will be lack of faith but well, we can't do that well, we've never done that before or what about this i don't know i can't see that i can't see in the future you're yeah you can't see in the future but god holds the future in his hand oh that we would say like the psalmist in psalm 34a oh taste and see that the lord is good how blessed is the man who takes refuge in Where is your faith today? Is it being lived out? Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, I don't even have faith. I've never come with faith. I've never placed my faith in Jesus. Be standing right down here. I'd love to shake your hand and talk to you. Pray with you if you need that. Or maybe this morning you'd say, You know what, yeah, I have faith, but it's not being lived out in my life. I'm not I'm not relying on God every single day. It's not, I'm not seeking God every single day by my faith. And I challenge you to do that. And you can pray in your pew. You don't need to pray with me. You can pray in your pew. You can come up here and pray. You can pray when you get home if that's what you need to do. I just want you to know that I'm available. I'll be available afterwards if, if you need that. But if God has spoken to you, I pray that you'd respond in faith to this message. Let's pray.